As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, August 4th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We are now two days removed from the trade deadline, and what a trade deadline it was. We, of course, had our live stream on the Athletic Baseball Show. It's the 3-0 show episode for this week, which I think until Britt comes back should just be the 2-0 show. If we have a guest, we can call it the 3-0 show. If it's just the two of us, will the 2-0 show. will it be the 4-0 show when she comes back? <laughs> yes, that's the question. How, how active will our, our new uh, fourth host on the show uh, be uh, in, in the first uh, few months? Uh, that's a good question. And a great unknown, really, for us as we continue potting. Uh, we'll talk about the busy trade deadline, some observations now that things have sunk in. Seems like an appropriate time to have a prospect of the week segment as well. So we will dig into that. We've got a few mailbag questions to get to, some trading-related stuff as well. Um, now that we've had time to absorb it, the Soto trade, as it has come to be known, and San Diego's all-in push at this deadline, it's just fun because teams don't ordinarily go this hard all at once. And I think it is refreshing because the contrast of what the Brewers did, who and they were a part of the teams that made deals with the Padres, trying to get it right long term and short term. The needle. Trying to be perfect. Let's get let's try to get a little better right now and and have more long term value here. I think that's a really, really fine line to walk. And it's also there's a few there's a few downsides to this. Like it's so much easier to be the aggressive buyer because your team gets excited, your fan base gets excited, everyone loves you, right? If you're AJ Preller, you can do no wrong in this moment. When you try to thread the needle the way that David Stearns is trying no to. No one loves you. Everyone turns against you. The people that are asked your about own the moves. Players. The players are sad. You're a first place team and you made your team sad. Even if you didn't make your team worse, in the eyes of your team, you didn't get better. And that I mean, hurts them. That sends a message. The poetic justice last night of the first inning for the Padres, walk from Juan Soto, walk from Josh Bell, grand slam from Brandon Drury, and then the ninth inning for the Brewers. I mean, it's coincidence, probably. <laughs> yes, it is. It is, <laughs> it is coincidence. But uh, it really sort of underlined, uh, I think, the boost that you can get uh, from from the fans uh, were were lined up outside the stadium in San Diego. So I know that the numbers say that a single acquisition doesn't drive attendance. At the same time, uh, I, the, the intuitive underlying knowledge there that like caring matters and uh, trying to improve the team seems to give everybody an uplift. I don't know. I, I think... I think there's something there that we might just be missing when we analyze strict attendance numbers. I think the excitement level in San Diego is higher than it's ever been. And part of that is, you know, this big trade they made. The other thing that I think is really interesting about San Diego is that there, we, we I just saw on the radio there. And, uh, you know, I said that uh, there's no uh, homegrown uh, players on this roster in San Diego. There are. We figured out who they were. 
Can you guess who the two homegrown San Diego Padres are that were drafted or acquired by San Diego? Drafted or acquired as prospects? Like No, not acquired as prospects. Signed. Signed, okay. Um, drafted or signed by the Padres. There's only two of them. Hmm, that was a trade. I was just kind of quickly scanning the depth chart in my head. They're probably <laughs> yeah. relievers. Is it two oh, relievers? That's good. That's smart. It's got yes, it's, it's two relievers. Adrian Morihone's still there, right? Yes, that's one. They signed him as an international free agent. Um, and then the other one would be is it Reese Nair? <laughs> oh, that's one? pretty good. I don't know if we I don't know if we looked at at him, but it uh Steven Wilson. Steven Wilson. Okay. But yeah, it, it, there it, you go. Two guys. <laughs> yeah, we develop players. What are you talking about? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there there are a lot of ways to build a team. And no, this is fine. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Actually, in fact, I think it lines up really strongly with AJ Preller's best strength, right? His best strength is scouting and acquisition, you know, finding young players, you know. And, uh, and if he can continue to replenish it, like, remember how he first came in? And he traded away all the prospects for Kimbrell and Upton and Kemp, you know, yeah. he, he, and Kemp, and he built that team. We all said, "Oh, what an awful idea!" It turned out to be an awful idea, but not that long later, he had a whole bunch of new prospects. Right. You know, so that's a preview uh, for my prospect of the week. So here's the um, here's the big question, right? You think about stuff like. Taylor Rogers ultimately replacing Hayter in the bullpen, even though it was Devin Williams who gave up the game-winning home run on Wednesday night. Is it is the gap between Hayter and Rogers small enough over two months plus the playoffs to say it's so unlikely to make a meaningful difference that it's worth taking on? A couple of prospects. This, this is it's worth it's worth taking on that risk to get young talent in the organization. Is David Stearns right, or is he doing more damage than he is actual good? Because the point of playing the game in the first place, as Herm Edwards famously said in his press you conference play. years ago, you play to win. You play to win the game. You that's win that's the game. different sport, but same con. Like when when you're as good as the Brewers are, when you're a first place team, the foot should be on the gas. The teams that played the middle were bubble wildcard teams and teams that didn't expect to even be close to playoff contention. That makes sense yeah. to me. But you can't play the middle when you're a front runner in your division. I literally got a text message from an analyst uh, in the front office saying they liked that trade. And, of course, they liked it because they thought it was a marginal uh, downgrade if, if, you know, if not much of a, a downgrade from Hayter to Rodgers. And they loved getting the new prospects. However, I would have to say the type of prospects you get in a reliever trade like this, even though it's hater and it's one of the best relievers, it's not actually like going to really move the needle for me. Like, for example, Seattle last year did the same thing where they were threading the needle, right? And, you know, uh, the, the, the Seattle was wrong and right and wrong again about this trade. Remember, it was beautiful. It, would they trade away Kendall Graveman for Abraham Toro and then also traded for Diego Castillo? So they, they were improving themselves for the future. You know, I'm sure. Oh, who did uh, who did the Brewers also trade for? It's like Trevor Rosenthal. It's very similar. Adam Rosenthal. They got Matt Bush, and, and hey, your pitching model loves Matt Bush, by the way. Like, oh, they, yeah. They, so, they quietly made the bullpen deeper, and right. it, it's it's only a little worse at its apex. At, at it's absolutely like the A bullpen is just slightly worse, but the bullpen they use most often is probably better and deeper. And I think it's it's hard. I stare at baseball for a living, and it's hard yeah. for me to explain that to friends, family, fans, and people that were saying, "Hey, why did they do this?" Well, it may not also be it may not also be right. So here's my here's my longer point. So hey, the idea is free Abraham Toro, free Estuary Ruiz, yay! Abraham Toro has shown us that why he was free, right? And to me, Estuary Ruiz is going to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you've ex you've explained some concerns. He does not hit the ball hard. And also, he was being played in the corner outfield in in the minors. Do you know the number of left fielders that have like 100 ISO? They don't exist for very long. Andrew Penintendi and Stephen Kwan 
are like if if Esther Ruiz, I don't he does not going to show that kind of strikeout rate, right? Like he that's like. There's like a five percent chance that Esther Ruiz turns into Andrew Benintendi. Like I, I really don't think that's that's going to happen. Guess who's third on the list that Esther Ruiz could be? Tony MF and Kemp. Yeah. So free Tony Kemp. You know, like Tony Kemp is free. <laughs> well, and, and the other argument here, the so Robert Gosser might be a nice pitching prospect, but you're telling me if you just stayed put with Hader now, you couldn't get a prospect like Robert Gosser as part of a trade at, in the offseason? Like, if the issue is, well, we we don't want to pay Hader in his last arbitration year because Mark Atanasio wants us to keep our payroll at $130 million, and mm. if you have $130 million payroll, he that's a bad use. Anyway. Fine, okay. The, the, the owner-imposed limits keep you from, from retaining him. Make the trade well, later. It's part. It, it's the timing. I think it's maybe just the timing don't. that people are questioning. It, it is the timing that you don't like, and and maybe maybe that's what makes sense here actually, because maybe you don't get as good of a trade in the off season because you ha- you don't have as desperate of teams. You know, in the off season they can go sign a free agent to be their closer. Yep. You know, and then all of a sudden it's sixteen million on the open market for a pretty good closer, or sixteen million for Josh Hader plus a prospect. You know, so I, I think um, I think maybe that's the timing is the is the is the concern there. And, you know, they did get two free prospects and, and maybe Ruiz will, will prove me wrong. I think it's fascinating. I don't I don't want to be wishy washy and be like, eh, like uh, I, I, I kind of prefer the Preller approach a little bit. I kind of prefer uh, I want to say I prefer the Depoto approach, but he did the same thing. Right. But, you know, I think it's a little different to go and get Diego Castillo than to get Matt Bush. I think it's a little different. Mm, kind Diego Castillo is under contract for another couple of years. Right, Bush isn't. So, yeah, this doesn't help you in the long run in that particular area. But you helped yourself in another area. I don't know. Maybe the Brewers believe Asturias Reese can play center field. Maybe that's part of this, and, and yeah. I'm not on that. I mean, they've... They've I mean, improved he does, other he players' still defense. Playing center field. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But they have outfielders at AAA. Sal Freelick is there. Garrett Mitchell's there. Some people think Jackson Chorio is the best prospect in baseball now. Right. Also an outfielder. So I just I didn't quite understand it. I I don't always understand the moves when they're made. I mean, if you look back at the last trade they made with the Padres, it looked like a big W for the Padres. Then it looked even. Then it started to look like a win for the Brewers. And now it's kind of trickling a little back closer to even again. But long term, that might end up looking just fine for Milwaukee. So <laughs> they, I don't know. The Brewers make fascinating trades, right? And Nelson Lamette got DFA too. Right? Well, I think that might have been matching salaries. Right. Uh, I think they were, I think part of it was actually uh, buying a prospect. Like, you know, they got, uh, they got Ruiz because they took on Lamette's money in order to make. Uh, the hater thing work for the salary cap in San Diego. Right. To get more than free Robert Gosser in the bullpen downgrade, they had to take back Lamette. But I thought, I reasonably thought that they that could he make might, Lamette they might a reliever. give him a chance. And, and put it, why not put him, in, like, aren't there enough bad relievers in Milwaukee that they could just put him in the bad reliever pile until he, he, he pitches his way out of it? I thought so. But the other, the other plot twist is that apparently he just recently reached the service time point where he couldn't be optioned to AAA, even though he had options left without uh, agreeing to it. So they either missed that or miscalculated it, or that, that was something else that I saw thrown out there. And so I don't know if they made that well, trade thinking they could send him down for a little while, but we'll I see. I wonder if there's certain things you can ask and certain things you can't ask a player. Like maybe they, maybe they just weren't able to, maybe because of timing, they were, weren't able to reach out to Nelson Lamette and ask him if he would accept a, you know, a demotion. Uh, because there's the whole thing in Toronto where they traded for Whit Merrifield, who isn't vaccinated. And then somebody asked them and they were like, well, we didn't ask him, but it's pretty obvious that we want him to get vaccinated <laughs> right i just think of like all the players you could trade for if you had any doubt about a, a willingness to do that given where you play and given the requirements to, to be eligible to play you'd think you would know before doing that but hey you know i'm i'm here and they're over there making those decisions so <laughs> i'm very surprised that they didn't have some kind of Understanding I think they probably read between the lines of his last statement, like where they were sort yeah, of yeah, like for a contender, this. dot dot dot, you know? <laughs> and they're like, "Well, we're a contender." 
I, I gotta ask you this. I put it on Twitter on Wednesday and got a few responses that I thought were pretty interesting. But do you think the tension between playing for now in baseball and playing for later would just be eased if we had shorter paths to free agency, both just in terms of number of years before you have to go on the 40 man and, of course, number of years before you reach free agency? Because I just think the the bankable years of an undervalued player, we've talked about how that's led to even fans and, and readers and everyone kind of fetishizing young players coming back in a trade. I think you'd also just push everyone in the general direction of caring more about today if you didn't have these long future windows to dream on when you acquire a player that's never even played in the big leagues before, someone that's really, really low in terms of service time. No, I think it would push more teams to play for the now um, if that was the case. But I think it's something that the union wants every year and something the owners are not willing to give. So, Yeah, seems like a non-starter, but I am increasingly just frustrated by this this idea that we can play both. Even, uh, you know, one less year of the minimum would do that, you know, right. Right. Just go to arbitration faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Attacking that structure in any way would, would, would lead to, to better outcomes. I, I, I also wonder about the incentives of, um, TV money, sort of guaranteed TV money coming in versus, uh, what you get from, from attendance. If you could, if you could. If you could change that somehow, if you could make it more important to have attendance, like if you could, I don't know, it's not like you're going to take TV money away. Everybody wants that guaranteed money, but there is a certain like level that teams get to. They're like, okay, we want to spend exactly what we're, what we're promised. And then the attendance will be the icing on top, you know, and that leads to uh, a lot of like, this is all we can spend. And that's that's the last part. I'm not trying to make this all about the brewers. They're just doing this thing that I think people can get really frustrated by right now. If they had done everything they did and then made a move to get one more bat or or just something, some, some other impact kind of player, and it pushed the payroll up. A lot of people thought it was a precursor to something. I certainly did. I got fooled. But if they'd done that, I think the reaction would be a lot different. And we talk about it all the time. The the caps that GMs work with, front offices work with, are set by ownership. That's just those are self-imposed. Like that's just what they are. But they didn't spend hater 16 million next year. Right. They didn't get a player yeah, that's going didn't. to make that. They didn't go out and make the move for a Luis Castillo. Not that they needed pitching, but the player that would be there in 2023 that would also make them better and cover that. They mm-hmm. did it with a you know cheap league minimum player and Reynolds or Loriano would be somebody who'd be a little bit more expensive next year that would play now, you know, it sends a different message. One of those outfield prospects. Yeah. Cause then if you, if you were, if you're rooting for that team or you're in that clubhouse, you're saying, well, we, you know, we're going to miss Josh, but we, we got more relievers, which is great. You know, we're all confident in our ability and we've got an upgrade to our offense. We feel great about where things are at right now. Instead, it was kind of like, yeah, I don't get it. I could even kind of detect it a little bit. I think it was Craig Council. Yeah, it's Craig Council before the game was talking to the media and he just had Council's not like a, a super high or super low guy most of the time. He's very even keeled as a manager. You could just kind of feel it in his voice, too, where it was just like, yeah, we got some get some good guys back there and. I don't know. Like I, I just I listen to him. Like this is a guy that is probably not happy about this decision, even if he fully understands why it was made. Right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's just the way you have to live, I guess, in a situation it's funny like that. Too, because Milwaukee has not been good. Listen, I think their play, their pitcher player development is great. I think on the hitting side, you know, aren't most of their hitters traded for? Off the top of your head, how many Brewers starters? Tyrone Taylor. Tyrone Taylor, yep. That's all I can come up with. Uh, they didn't develop Narvaez. They didn't develop Rowdy. They they signed Colton Wong as a free agent. They traded for Willie Adames. Yeah. Luis Urias was a trade. Yelich was a trade. Was a trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hunter Renfro was a trade. So, so, they, so they got... You know, hitting pro they got some hitting prospects. We who like, it, you know, they haven't been amazing at turning those into players. Are they just gonna 
turn around and trade him again? I don't know. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Who's more angry today? Um, per you got to scale numbers down. There's more Mets fans out there. Mets fans or Brewers fans? Who's more disappointed per, by the more deadline? More disappointed per capita. <laughs> yeah, more disappointment per capita. Brewers fans or Mets fans? Uh, I don't know. I'm 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 on Twitter too much, so I would, <laughs> I would say probably Mets fans or Yankees fans. Oh, good lord! Yankees fans were not happy. Well, Yankees fans can be. A little over the top but with their expectations. But they threaded the needle too, right? I mean, they did go get Montas, so like that's 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 unfair to say that. But at the same time, trading Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader does have money implications, and I think it has something to do with next year's payroll. That was the thing that they did last minute. We talked about it in the stream. It was like, why you don't you don't have enough pitching depth to do that? You just went out and acquired an impact starter for good reason. All they have is Clark Schmidt now. I mean, maybe David Garcia, but I think depending on him, that guy is not pitching well and has been hurt a lot and wasn't that great when he was when he was better. So I'd say they have Clark Schmidt and that's and and they're just sort of holding on to the side of their seat, yelling "wee." So so Mets fans are. I also wait wait. I also in a piece today. I I, I detailed. Do do you realize how? How much injury pass that they're all their current starters have? The Other Yankees, Cole. yeah. Tyone oh, has two Tommy Johns. Uh, Herman was on the IL for shoulder injury this year. Luis Severino is on the uh, on the IL for shoulder injury right now. Frankie Montas was on the IL for shoulder injury earlier this season. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yes, this is a team that doesn't need a guy who's proven to be healthy over the past few years. I don't know that 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 one is weird, but yeah, I think with the Mets, um, they drew a line, and I think the one that I wouldn't have drawn, I think I would have traded Mark Vientos for Wilson Contreras if that was on the board, and I bet it was. Um, I would have done that trade because Vientos is striking out a lot in AAA. Um, you know, he plays third base. It's not necessarily a premium position. It's not like he's a, a young shortstop that you got to hold on to. And you got to trade somebody. Keep Beatty, keep Francisco Alvarez, fine. But like, you can trade, you know, one of your prospects for a big upgrade um, at the catcher position. But otherwise, I would say the Mets are just an amazing team. They're just like pretty well built. They have depth everywhere. Like, and they really, their worst spot was DH and they improved it with a, a what is it? A, a Vogel rough. Vogel rough. Yeah. Yeah. Rough and rough and Bacher. They, uh, they, they have a Vogel Bach, Darren rough combo back there. That should be good. Refty, righty, lefty. And, um, you know, that was their worst position before. So uh, they did do something. It's just uh, pretty small. The biggest critiques I think for the Mets were yeah, behind the plate, especially with James McCann hurt, but even with James McCann healthy, they could use an upgrade. That was the spot that they should have upgraded. If you want to say that they failed at the deadline because of that, I think you're just looking for a reason to be extra harsh. I think it's disappointing. But at the same time, they did upgrade in terms of getting more power. They do have more depth. And that's one thing that the Mets have been doing going back to the offseason. They've built a deeper team than they've had in a long time. I think that bodes really well for their chances of, of mixing and matching down the stretch, having the right guys in the right spot in the postseason as well. So it's not sexy. It's not sexy to go, yeah, we got uh, Tyler Naquin, Darren Ruff, and Daniel Vogelbach. Guess what? Like they're they're better the way, the way they are now. They they are improved, and they had a top five offense as it was previously constructed. The flaw was they didn't have enough home runs. 
most of the guys they brought back, that's the thing they do first. They hit home runs. And I think that's the that's actually a good sort of way to go uh, if you're there. And I think the other question with the Mets was, did they need one more pitcher because of Jacob deGrom just coming off the IL? You know, Carrasco's injury history. Taiwan Walker's got a few injuries as well. You could look at that group know. and say, they need one more guy to get them David there. Peterson and, and Trevor Williams are not, you know, uh, my favorite starting pitchers, but, you know, compared to uh, just having Clark Schmidt, you know, <laughs> uh, and you have Megill, you know, on his way back. Uh, I think he's a big question mark, but that is uh, a, a superior depth position than the Yankees. In the bullpen, uh, I think they could have maybe added someone in the bullpen to just lengthen it. But the Michael lefty. Givens, yeah. you know, the Michael Givens one was weird for me because by stuff he was, he's, he's really lost a lot and he's already, he was already below average. Um, and so I, I think he's what they're like fifth best reliever. Yeah. Cause Diaz, Lugo, Adovino and may, and may when he's healthy, and he may those guys, back. Yeah, those guys are all better than Givens. So I, I don't know. I mean, other maybe, than not maybe adding it a lefty. Cost, it would cost too much to get someone who is actually better than any of those three. I, I get it. Look, I I I am a, a fan of a team that underwhelmed me at the deadline, and <laughs> I can understand, but I don't but think the it's Mets as bad the as Yankees, making out to like, me. They should be elephants stomping through the forest, right? Like they should just they should just do everything. You know, well, they should they should have a ridiculous bullpen. They should go out and put David Robertson in that bullpen just because they could. That's that's a good that's a good push here because I think what we don't know about the Mets is what's Billy Epler going to do at any given point? Is he going to be that kind of GM or is he going to try and be a thread the needle type? And this is more what a thread the needle GM would do. And I don't know if threading the needle works in New York. You can get away with it maybe in Milwaukee if Stomp you get the results. Through the forest and be a beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's the probably the part that's frustrating. It's like, well, if this were any other team, this would be okay. But expectations Preller didn't are just, just get here. Soto; he got Bell and Hater, you know? <laughs> like, and Drury, and Drury. Like he just didn't care. He needed all uh, those upgrades, though. Yeah, he, they, they were they were a tier below the best of the best teams in the league, even By when war, Tatis was getting they're, healthy. They're fourth now. In yeah, a, in a virtual tie with the Braves uh, for fifth. So, and what were they before all their moves? Like. 15th 7th or 8th no oh, okay they're even but lower. it's just a, it, it doesn't you can't move the needle that much because it's two it's two months and it's war see i thought they were lower in part because well i guess tatis would have been factored into the projections all along but uh they they were a very average lineup without mm, tatis yeah. especially yeah for sure they, they they definitely added more war at the deadline than anybody else so I've decided, uh, with more time to let it sink in, Brandon Marsh for Logan O'Hoppy is my favorite swap of the deadline. Easily yeah. my favorite trade because it was the one we Inspired just didn't see coming. My whole piece today for sure. <laughs> well, that's always appreciated. So, like, what else? What else made the cut? I didn't get a chance to read your piece yet, so this is all going to be new to me as we're uh, talking Montgomery, about it. Uh, Montgomery, Montgomery, and, and the Marsh trade were the most intriguing. Uh, there was five intriguing ones: the the Blue Jays uh, trade. Um and the Siri trade uh, yeah. in Tampa, but but Marsh was uh, really and, and actually what's interesting there is a common thread here Marsh, Bader, Siri, they're among the three they're three of the five best center fielders by outs above average this year. So there were three teams that went and got elite defensive center fielders. I don't know if it's it's a trend. You know, every time, like, is it a trend or is it AJ Preller? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's a it, it's a reminder that there are a few spots where teams really still prioritize elite defense, and center field is one of them. And yeah. most contending teams already have a shortstop in place, so they're not usually trading for shortstops because that's not how it works. But you can actually trade for for great defensive center fielders. Yeah, that's true. And and the through line for all of them is is there enough bat? And in fact, of the three, I think Bader, you know, Bader, a guy who, you know, in our tears project, they said the scouts said they weren't sure he had a carrying tool bat like he that he had a bat an everyday bat. Uh he has the best bat of these three in terms of at least in terms of projections. Um I like, you know, I like Marsh and I like him more than Siri. 
but I was surprised by how similar they are. They both strike out like 35% of the time. They both barrel around 9% of the time. They both have, you know, 111, 112 max exit velos. Um, you know, the one difference is Siri has a swing strike rate of around 18, which is high, 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 high. Uh, and Marsh has one more around 13. So, and, and has like a actual reasonable swing strike rate against fastballs. So, you know, there may be more to work with there. And, and also Marsh had lower stri- swing strike, uh, strikeout rates in the minors. So there may be more to work with there to a possibility of getting him to 28, 26% strikeout rate. If you do, uh, I could see a breakout for Marsh. Plus Marsh is in a nice stadium for his offense. Uh, I think this was a good deal for him. Ohop is also interesting because he's an offensive catcher right before automatic balls and strikes. Yeah, I know you've you've mentioned the timetable for that. It seems like you have a more aggressive timeline for that than it's than on the way, play. man. It's, it's like it's like in double A. If it's in double A, it's like treat it like a prospect. If it's in double A, it's coming, man. <laughs> it's like one or two years, so. Uh, I, I think, I think, I think the, the over under is a year, a year and a half, <laughs> you know, it's either two years or one year is my, is my guess. All right. So, well. but, but, you know, I think it's also interesting that the angels, you know, there's this, uh, finding, uh, that Matt Swartz had that, that teams know better about their own players than other teams in free agency. I don't know if that's been proven in trades like this, but it is interesting that the Angels got an everyday look at Brandon Marsh. They they developed him. They brought him up. Uh, they released Justin Upton this year because they said Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele are the future, uh, and then they traded away Brandon Marsh. I think it's it's possible, and and this is something I talked about with with Al on the Fantasy Baseball podcast this morning. It, it's it, it's possible that something with Marsh is is true like that where they they see something they can't fix so they say well, we need a catcher for the future it's kind of hard to find those and Logan O'Hoppy's blocked in Philly like JT Realmuto is mm. not going anywhere anytime soon so they saw an opportunity to get better at an important position for them they've got pretty good outfield depth i was trying they to really decide they really needed a center fielder does it mean does it really mean anything as far as the long term health of Mike Trout like the the Angels willingness to move a major league ready center fielder Probably not, actually, just because it's one important position for another. And I think it's easier to go out and find outfield help than it is to go out and find impact catchers. Well, I think Adele can probably play center. The 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 There's a wild card here, which is weird. Uh, Marsh was slated for center, and Trout was like, nah. No, I want to play, play center. center. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. And I think uh, for my team, if we were about winning games, Trout's not in center field for me. No, no, he he would not be. I, I, but but yeah. if he's the leader of the team and you're like, uh, if he wants to play center, he's going to play center again next year. Then I guess you trade away the guy who is not a great left fielder in terms of offense and right. is is a better center fielder. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a, like team fits for both, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, but I'm with you. I, I just think that was a pretty interesting deadline. I think the Angels, they, I mean, they could have panicked in the wake of the Trout news. They could have moved Otani too, and it was clear before the deadline that they decided they weren't really going to make that happen, at least now. Maybe it'll happen this winter if, if it happens at all. I think a lot's going to hinge on just the overall health of some players coming back. But surprised they moved Rysel Iglesias in that multi-year deal because if they thought their window was still as open as it was going into this season – getting rid of an impact reliever probably wasn't the thing that made the most sense. Yeah, Counter argument to that though, T- Tucker Davidson comes right. back controllable pitching for them. It's, it's, it's important. And starting, starting pitching has been as hard for them as anything. Maybe they feel like they can just go out and spend 15 million a year again uh, on a new reliever. Uh, maybe go get Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen, right? Yeah. Cause you know? I, Iglesias goes to Atlanta. You can make a one year deal with Jansen. You don't have the multi-year closer anymore and you've got other good relievers. So that could be part of their plan. But uh, I did sell low on Mike Trout in one of my leagues. Mm, uh, what'd you it, get? This might offend some people. I might get some yelling. I, I, I did have a friend tell me that I did poorly. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a keep six, and he's like a, a fourth rounder. So he's you know you keep him at their round. So yep. he's already he's was already my most expensive keeper. 
Um, my other keepers were like Jordan Alvarez in like the 10th, you know, Shohei Otani in like the 11th. So like, you know, I have some really great keepers. I won last year and I'm in the, in the, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Those of you on YouTube can see the where, which way Derek is already leaning. Uh, anyway, I'm making excuses. Um, but, uh, I traded him because I thought of him as my fifth best keeper out of six. I traded him for people that I'm not sure I'm going to keep, but would may help me win this year, which is Reese Hoskins at first base, uh, going into a timeshare or or pushing Rowdy Telez to the bench, and uh, Stephen Kwan in center, uh, who pushes Aaron Hicks off of my off of my team. Uh, so I think that I think, and this is a, a league with K's by batters. Um, and, uh, I also got Noelvi Marte. We have four free minor league keepers every year. Okay. Uh, right. so I got Noelvi Marte is the minor league keeper. That's free. Um, maybe Hoskins goes into a group with Bregman, uh, and Glaber Torres as my final keeper. So I went from Trout as my final bat keeper to one of Hoskins, Bregman, or Glaber Torres. Um, and for that, uh, I got Stephen Kwan, who I was running Aaron Hicks out at center, and I need to do better. So it's now a Hicks profile, center field platoon. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe I didn't do enough. But here's, here's my thinking. Here's my thinking on Trout. We talked to a, bat, a, a back expert uh, in email uh, who, is, who is talking about this. I, I have uh, very little faith he's coming back this year. First of all, the Angels aren't good, um, and there's no reason for him to come back. And secondly, um, this is the type of injury I gather from speaking with this uh, back expert that is fairly serious, um, and you should give it all the chance to heal. Now, he seemed to suggest that if you give it all the chance to heal and to heal well, he might be fine going forward. However, what I see with Trout is this ongoing issue where if there are any injuries, he's just going to be done for the year if the Angels are bad. So I bet against the Angels as much as I did Trout because Trout could go back into next year and be like, I feel good. Everything's fine. He could play for three months, find some nagging injury. Angels are out of it. He's like, nah, peeps, I'll be back again next year. So has that not described like the last two years? It's fair, totally fair. And you know, look at the games played count. You can go all the way back to 2017, 114, 140, 134. So not bad those two years, but some wear and tear starting to pile up. 53 out of 60 in the shortened season, 36 last year. And if he's done this year, 79. We don't have confirmation of that. It's just a just speculation. See, it's a high risk that if the Angels are bad again and, uh, and he's got some sort of injury, he's just going to be out. Plus, can, he was the most expensive keeper I had, so... Yeah, well, okay. So it's not a bad trade. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be as mean to you as your your friend was in this case. I, I think your theory about how they would handle him makes sense. The organizational track record over the better part of twenty years would lead you to believe that you're acting on the side of, yeah, any any sort of nagging problem is gonna shut Trout down. And even if like we're talking about two to three seasons into the future where he's still a player as talented as he is now. Very good impact player, keepable in a league like yours for sure during that window for the per-game production. How difficult is it to replace him in your league, I think, is a huge question and how valuable he is, too. I think we're we're starting to push Trout into this this sort of like stars and scrubs. Like if you're in a 10-team league and you only start three outfielders, it's really easy to replace a player when he's out. And then the per-game production is still so good that he's a difference maker. In those cases, he fits really well. If you're talking about a 20-team dynasty league, that's a totally different calculus, the waiver wire replacement. And then, of course, yeah. where you are in, in a long-term league. Are you playing for now, which you are? Okay. That's an argument for, for buying Trout, I think, uh, and, I, and I'm comfortable with it because it, you know, we're only a 12-team league, but uh, it's fairly deep. And, uh, for example, I was cobbling together my center field, and it was Aaron Hicks, Jock Peterson, and Jerickson Profar. So that's a pretty low level of production i was getting and uh uh so you know it's fair uh, and maybe i made the wrong move but i also uh would rather be a year early than a year late on some of these declining older bats and i like noelvi Marte a lot especially coming up in cincinnati uh and then on top of it i had a chance to win this year and i don't think mike trout's coming back this year so I, this, part of it was 
you get a better keeper. I'll have to figure out my last keeper, uh, but I want to win this year. I'm in third place. If I can run somebody better than Aaron Hicks out in center field, maybe I can win this. Trout turns 31 on Sunday. What does someone get Mike Trout for a birthday gift at this point? <laughs> Buy-in for his next fancy football league. <laughs> it sounds like he is kind of a or, donor. Or or I take over commish for you. That's a real good birthday present. That, that's one of those gifts. You know when you, you, sometimes you see like a charity auction and it's a, like gift value, priceless. Like being the commissioner of that league, I mean – Obviously, uh, he was in over his head in that case. I was thinking maybe Mike Trout would like an Astrolabe, which uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer buys an Astrolabe. What's so an Astrolabe? It's, um, it's an ancient astronomical instrument that uh, was a handheld oh. model of the universe. So it, it's, Oh, yes. I think he might like something like that. That seems That's like good. a thing Trout would, would actually yeah. you know find some appreciation for. But I think the commish thing is the best thing. You got him the better gift than I did. I got him, <laughs> I got him a piece of junk that he'll look at once and throw in the Put corner. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure we'll have a ton of Mike Trout talk between now and opening day next year because why wouldn't we? It's going to keep coming back up. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's get to our prospect of the week segment. Do, 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 do. Prospect of the week. Do, 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 do. I like how you <laughs> added the music to the vocals for yourself too, just making my job easier in every possible turn. Uh, since you're very excited for this segment, I think you should go first. Who is your selection? You probably have more than one. I don't think there'd be a rule against that. There really are no rules oh. on this show. Uh, very, there are very few one. rules at least. I have one. Uh, I just wanted to bring this guy up because he he belongs in that San Diego Padres con- conversation we're having. Um, uh, there's a lot of excitement about Jackson Merrill, uh, 19-year-old shortstop and A-ball for the Padres and totally could be the next uh, C.J. Abrams that jumps up into you know the top 15 and the top 10 over the next couple of years, depending on how he uh, ages. I think the one thing we're watching is the power um, but uh, and he does hit too many ground balls, uh, but he makes a lot of contact, has good patience, very athletic, uh, great tools, uh, and I think the defense to stay at shortstop. So, uh, you know, picking up a, an A ball guy is is better than picking up a low A or a complex guy. Uh, so at least he's moved his way out of that. Uh, obviously, it can go any any direction from here. Uh, because he's a 19-year-old in A-ball. But uh, I just, just want to mention that because maybe uh, maybe he's already found the next prospect he's going to trade away. <laughs> it's a good, good chance, good way to look at it. Uh, I've, I've decided that because I very rarely say nice things about the Oakland A's that I should talk about an A's prospect. And I was doing some leaderboard surfing over at Rotowire. They've got hard hit data on prospects. And Jordan Diaz a third baseman in the A's organization actually stood out to me really young for the level. He's 21 years old. He's played all season at double a Midland. So that's a great place to be for a player that age. He's popped 14 homers to 307, 354, 506 line. Not a guy that I've heard a whole lot about. I don't dig into a lot of prospect pods outside of the fantasy episode I host with Al every week just preparing for that so probably a guy that could creep into some top 100s just looking at what he's doing in terms of the underlying numbers again age to level clear path to an opportunity and I saw that they took Zach Geloff who's missed some time this year with a shoulder injury and they were starting to play him at second base so 
it almost looks like they're trying to figure out how those two players might fit together on the same infield in the not-so-distant future. So Jordan Diaz, uh, a sneaky prospect to probably add. I don't mean the league you described where you get four minor leaguers, that's probably not a deep enough league because that would mean you have to be basically a top 50 sort of prospect to be on the radar in a league like that. But a watch list player for leagues like that um, and probably a, a must-add type in leagues where at least 10 prospects are rostered by each team. And, and honestly, if you just if you are keep, keep four minor leaguers, you may just uh, eliminate pitchers from your keeper pool completely. In which case, you're just asking him to be a top fifty bat prospect, you know, mm-hmm. uh, top sixty type bat prospect. So you know, he could be on. He's probably still on the outside looking in for that. But uh, you know, one thing that I would monitor with him, I love his combination of. Um, you know, strikeout rate and isolated slugging. I just want that ground ball rate to just keep getting a little bit lower, you know, and and so far so good, but uh, his fly ball rate is also the lowest it's been uh, in his career right now at this stop. So there's some, some, uh, something there. I want to see some growth in the, in the ground ball fly ball mix, but otherwise uh, good pull. Yeah, hard contact up a bit from where it was last year. 27.5%. Sports Info Solutions provides that data on the Rotowire pages. Those are scored manually. Um, so they give you a good approximation. But again, age to level has to be a consideration with Diaz, but also age for contact quality is something that I think is really important. Uh, hit locations look really good in terms of using the entire field. Doesn't pull yeah. maybe doesn't pull the ball enough. That could be that could be something he does more in the future as he could advances. Could be a way to unlock some power, yeah. Yeah, but I really like the uh, the overall approach here. Nice low K rate, really productive season at Double A, and just trying to give A's fans something to be excited about too. Because <laughs> it's um, it's bleak right now, but you know, two two to three years from now, maybe it'll start to get a little bit better. Let's get to a few emails here. Got one from Pete. Pete writes, I was ecstatic to get Ronald Acuna at the turn in my 10-man redraft league, and he quickly dashed any lingering injury concern by swiping bags at a higher rate than he has the past few years. But outside of an earlier power surge, his pop seems to have disappeared. He's had some bad luck on balls in place, so I'm being patient. But it's getting harder to watch him roll over on pitches night in and night out. Any real concern here? Love the show. P.S. Spent part of this summer with my kids in the mountains of Zacatecas, Mexico, and... When I had Signal, I would download the weekly episodes for our longer drives. After a couple of weeks, my kids and their cousins would fight to ride in my rental car because they wanted to listen to the baseball nerds. That might be a a new name for the show. Yeah, yeah. It could just be Rates and Barrows, colon, the baseball nerds. (laughs) Love it. No, Acuna um, is obviously struggling a little bit. I, I want to know if it has anything to do with the knee or it's just something mechanical. I mean, he's obviously hitting too many ground balls and pulling too many ground balls so that, you know, the rollover uh, critique is 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 there. At the same time, you know, it, the Max EV says the raw power is still there and the bail rate is the same as it was in 2019 where he hit 41 homers. Now, that was, that's the rabbit ball. So you would have to change that number. But I would just say that the raw power is there. Uh, he's he's not reaching a he's reaching more than they did last year, but he's it's not a ton. Um, and uh, I I see he's like a tweak away, you know. Like I think he's I think something's going to click for him. I think one thing that we can still the collective we not you and I specifically the one thing that we can really overlook sometimes with a hitter coming off of a leg injury is the importance of your legs in hitting. In mm-hmm. I I just wouldn't I, I wouldn't discount that right now. I'd look at this and say everything in the the barrel uh, the barrel percentages looks comparable to what it was earlier in his career. You know the hard hit rates being in line, the strikeout rate still being good. The, the eye ground at the plate ball, still right. looks pulled, good. Pulled grounders means something's off. He's he's definitely something off there. He's 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 yeah, he's pulling off on those. But it seems fixable to me because of the the quality of the contact. Even though he's not hitting the ball in the air as often as we'd like. So if there is any any glimmer of being able to make a move for Acuna in a long term league right now, absolutely do it. Uh, it. It's it's disappointing to not have that power, but the the steals are so valuable right now too that. He's, I think he's been better than I expected, even though it's been in a, a different shape. Like the production has come a different way so far. 
what is his uh what's his earned value hmm where do you if, well, while i look it up what do you well, think so he it picked is him, he picked him 10th or 11th so i'm guessing it's not 10th or 11th i'm guessing it's not top 10 but i'm guessing it's still maybe top 20 in which case maybe he's not producing exactly as you wanted but he's not tanking your team so let's have a look. I'm looking at 15 team leagues using the Rotowire in season number. $14 is what it spits out for Acuna. So that's mm. not top 20. It's actually top 40. Top 60, I think, would be oh, where that is. But right. hold on a minute, though. I, I, I do think the, the, the raw earned value numbers are a little bit unfair when we're comparing someone who missed 30 ish games compared to everybody above him. So if you adjust it for time lost, because you're thinking about Acuna plus whoever you had to replace him, yeah, you didn't pick a, a zero. Date, date filter on that? <laughs> it'd be awesome if you could. I think he's probably more like a low 20s player since coming back. And that does kind of put him in the, I don't know, the the Trout, Harper, Seeger, Abreu, Matt Olson. Those guys all do it different ways. But that that would be pretty good. That's closer to like a top 20, top 25 hitter None of those on a per game basis. Picks, though. No. No. Well, Trout and Harper were. Well, it's a, it's a major injury. I mean, it's again, it's great to see him running as much as he has because I thought that'd be the last thing to come back. And I'm starting to think that maybe stealing bases is not the hardest thing about coming off of a torn ACL. It might yeah, just be still hitting the ball might actually be the hardest thing about it. But thanks for the email, Pete. And I'm glad that your kids and their cousins were enjoying the show. Even if they were just making fun of us the whole time, at least it made some of those drives a little easier to get through. Uh, i got a question here from John. John's writing about an auto new points league in rebuild mode. Had a few stars this year, including Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, Jose Barrios. He was hoping to flip prospects and that didn't exactly work out. So he had to settle, try to get better uh, by realizing that trading for hurt players is actually easier to get surplus value on the roster. So the question is, how do you evaluate injured players like Tyler Stevenson or or Kyle Lewis? Putting prices aside, it seems like those are players that teams are just willing to move on from. Uh, When you're thinking about multi-year players like that, you know, like are there certain injuries that you're comfortable buying into and certain injuries that you're not? I mean, is it certain positions, certain skills? Uh, When when do you feel like injury risk in a long-term league is worth seeking out? You know, the Kyle Lewis thing is interesting because this year it's been a concussion that that uh, laid him low after the knee thing. But I think it's the knee thing that's more worrisome because that's more of a chronic uh, situation that's going to be managed over his career and probably uh, puts a, an earlier end date on his career and 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 means that he's, you know, there's going to be load management involved. And, you know, I, I just see that as, as, you know, being a bigger deal. The Stevenson thing is a major injury that may affect him next year, but I think at some point he'll be back to 100%, and I doubt it leads to chronic problems. I mean, it, it all has to do with what it looks like when you get in there. I think it, how displaced the fracture was and uh, you know how, how long the recovery is and stuff. Um, so... You know, stuff that a doctor could answer better. But I think just generally uh, nagging, especially like sort of bone on bone. Remember how Utley's career ended? Uh, he had bad knees and he was still good when he was in, um, but uh, it was kind of a, like a, you know, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm actually going to look up Utley's numbers now that I said all that, but. I remember a pretty sharp decline there. I don't. I don't think you're off base, but you can confirm uh, in just a moment. Yeah, for last few four years, 400 plate appearances, 500, 350, 200. So, yeah, it really caught up to him in those later years. I I think with Kyle Lewis, that's that's the type of chronic injury risk that yeah, there's a discount there. In a long term league, I'm really not that interested. I, I think he's better better served in short-term situations where people might be undervaluing Maybe him. You catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, he's actually healthy for the for the last couple of months. Yeah, but I think in multi-year leagues, I don't think you're, I don't think you're looking at Kyle Lewis as a, you know, $1, $3, $5 in-season pickup that you're going to hold for multiple years and say, yeah, he's been great. He's been a $15 or $20 guy year over year over year after dealing with knee stuff up to this point in his career. It's unfortunately just one of those things that's going to hang around, I think. But Stevenson, if let's say next year it's not he's not a hundred percent or whatever, or he doesn't have the whole off season to train, he's not as strong. Um, let's say you get eighty percent out of Stevenson. Well, let's say he's like a three dollar catcher or something, right? So that means you know uh, in twenty twenty five he's a five dollar, he's a seven dollar catcher. 
he might still be worth that, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd still be worth keeping at, at that level. Um, and, uh, and he might be cheap enough where, uh, maybe next year you have to buy like a five or $6 catcher to pair with him just to make sure that you have two good catchers. Like at least between one of them, you have a usable catcher. Uh, but he'd still have value going forward. And if you might see by the end of next year, oh, the exit velocities are creeping up, the barrel rate's creeping up, you know, here he's starting to get good again. You know, he's starting to... So I, I kind of like a, a catastrophic injury like that in the better in a way. Like I just... It's just a one injury. It's like a... Uh, as opposed to sort of a collection of, of soft tissue, nagging, knee problem type stuff. I, I don't like that. Yeah, that's kind of the key difference for me. You know, the the devastating one-off injuries, they're, they're not easy to come back from, but I'm not as worried about it once the rehab is complete as I am about something that's bothered a player for. Kyle Lewis with his knees, it feels like it's been five-plus years now. Yeah, we both think Acuna is going to be great next year. Right. Like a first-round talent even. Yes, I, I would I would agree. I think that's yeah. that's still where I expect him to go. And of course, he's got two months and change to to persuade everybody with uh, more production the further he gets away from that injury. But thanks a lot for that question, John. Uh, we got another email here. This is a trade question for Ben. It's a seven uh, seven keep seven league with a two sixty salary cap, it's a ten team rotisserie situation, and there's some salaries here. Of course, so I'm going to run through this real quick. It's a simple trade. Give away Bobby Witt Jr. in a trade. He's at 15 as a keeper. And get back Corbin Burns at 27. The other keepers include Devers at 44, Eloy at 27, who must be kept, Wander at 15, Jazz Chisholm at 15, Joe Musgrove at 15, and Adley Rutschman at 5. So not a lot of pitching on that team. Giving up the you know more interesting young player that can do everything, especially steel bases. If Devers is 44, though, as a keeper, and you could keep Burns at twenty seven. Like if Burns were back in the in the auction, he'd go for forty plus, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe your best pitcher on the board might even go for fifty. And what was Wit? But Wit's price was Wit 15? was fifteen. So the, the you know the, it'll it'll progress and he'll stay behind Burns for a while. So I long love as I can what be kept. Wit is doing, dude. His his chase rate has just gone down, down, down over the course of the season. I I think he's sitting settling in, and he's I think he's a really top top talent. I think. He should be like a. I I might push him to like second round next year. I have don't have my whole board in front of me, but you know, like I I'm pretty excited about Bobby Witt. I don't, I wouldn't do it. All right, so you like Witt enough to not lock in the top end pitcher at a slight discount because the multi year discount on yeah, Witt you think is more year valuable. Over year over year, I think you're gonna keep Witt for three, four, five years, and Burns, you know, I don't know. Do they get more expensive over time? They do. Uh, I think we've got, t- for 2024, Witt's only 20 and Burns becomes 38. That's a pretty big jump. So because Witt moves might up slower. be a slower, one-year deal for, Kurt, for Burns, or maybe two. Could be. So I think with that, that's enough to keep it on the preferring the, the Witt side. And wow, being stuck with Eloy at 27 is not great. But uh, that's a, a conversation for a different day. But thanks a lot for that email, Ben. I got a question about Walker Bueller that came in from Matt. Matt wants to know if Walker Bueller's problems before he got hurt were just a one-off thing or if they were signs of longer-term issues trying to look to make some trades in a keeper league where they can keep eight players. Don't know if I should move him or someone like Spencer Strider or George Kirby for hitting help. So if you had injured Bueller and people were interested versus Strider, who looks amazing, and, and Kirby, who we've talked about a lot on this show. Trade Bueller. Are you trading Bueller? Yes, I would trade Bueller. There was a drop-off in stuff on his four seam uh, that was pretty dramatic. He was still pretty good, and we saw Urias kind of have a drop-off in stuff and kind of shrug it off and and had a great year uh, and figure it out. But um, I just think that Bueller is more dependent on his velo than Urias. Um, And... uh, you can also look at it from a traditional standpoint, which is he's always outperformed his strikeout rate and his swing strike rate, you know, and usually team players don't do that over the long run. So I think there's two ways to look at Bueller that you sort of, you know, wonder if the production is going to continue even when he comes back from injury. Plus he's injured. So like <laughs> they could turn into Tommy John, like it still could. Yeah. So yeah. I would trade Bueller in this situation. Like, I'm definitely not trading Strider. That That's like a rocket ship taking out from the moon. What was the other one? Kirby. I like Kirby, too. Uh, he's very different than the other two. More of a, a command guy. But he's got a bunch of pitches. The, the stuff is improving a little bit over time. 
And the slider command is elite. So I'm going to take Kirby too. All right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I mean, I just think the the dip for Bueller probably brings him down to, I don't know, top 10, top 15 starting pitcher ceiling. Whereas yeah, pre-decline with that stuff, he had that top five sort of cap that we'd seen in a few seasons. So it, it's a lower ceiling with added risk. And if you can move that for a bat that you'd love to keep, I mean, you're probably not getting first, second round bats back in the return, but some of those third, fourth round caliber you bats can be just good. not even get that for Kirby. I mean, Strider might, the Str- one argument mm. for tra- trading Strider is Strider might get you whenever you want. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Strider but, might but get you then, ridiculous But even then, the other team back. might say, how many innings am I get the rest of the season? It Fair. may have to be with like a rebuilder. Yeah. Well, this might be all about long-term value. But yeah, but yeah, you're trading Bueller to a rebuilder. Uh, I guess if the return, if the if the other team says I give you whatever you want for Strider, and I'll just give you this list for Bueller, then maybe compare the lists. But my instinct is to say trade Bueller. But more importantly, the broader answer to the question here is that you saw enough of a decline in Bueller before this injury to alter expectations for him. Even if he comes back healthy, and this ends up being an injury that doesn't impact him all that much in the future but i think there is a chance this is the kind of thing that comes back as something more serious certainly encouraging to see him working his way back so far of course the end of the day tuesday we got very sad news in the baseball world vin scully passed away at the age of 94 you know and i think as many people have said it he's the voice of baseball like he he did that his career was just incredible and i think my favorite thing if I'd watch Dodgers games was to just hear Vin spin the yarn and and tell stories that you never expected. And I was wondering if you had a favorite Vin Scully call or story or moment from several years of just enjoying the games he was calling, because I had the, the story that sticks in my head is the one he told about Madison Bumgarner and his wife coming across a snake and Bumgarner, not knowing if it was a rattlesnake or not, decided that he had to to take out the snake with an axe. So he cuts up the snake to kill it, and they find a, a they find rabbits inside, baby rabbits, and they nurse them back to health, which is just an absolutely absurd story. And yeah. just Vin casually telling it as he's calling the game, the way he really only he did, just weaving things in and out, like you you didn't miss a second of the game, and you were glued to the story. And that's such an amazing gift to have as a storyteller. I think that was the the in-game story that resonated with me the most. And, um, you know, just a guy that we've missed ever since his last game in 2016. No, I, I remember that one. That, that might be my pick as well. But I think uh, one of the things that really uh, impressed me about him was you've seen so many players, or so many players and broadcasters with their his sort of longevity in the media uh, kind of turn on modern baseball and um, end up sort of decrying and maybe they have legitimate gripes, but uh, maybe spending too much time uh, sort of outlining and, and detailing and chronicling each of those problems with modern baseball where I never, I never really got that from Vin where I just, I got sort of a lifelong love of the sport um, and a continued positivity uh, to the very end, you've seen that that clip of his last uh, sort of salutation and the the Irish poem and um, Irish benediction, and I, he just it was unfailingly positive, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that is such a hard note uh, to 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 continue to ring, you know, as a writer. Um, cynicism creeps in because you're you're in the you're in those press boxes for bad games and you have bad interactions with players and you can spot maybe something in the game that you don't like and you can start to sort of pick at it like a, like a, like a, like a scab. Uh, But um, he just sort of, I I don't think that he wouldn't acknowledge those things. He might acknowledge it and say, you know, things were different at a different time, but um, he didn't put that value judgment on it that uh, a lot of older uh, players and broadcasters have. Yeah, I, I just think that that constant joy around the game, I imagine that for most people doing any job or as long as Vin called games, you'd, 
you could you'd find it dull and boring at a certain point, no matter what that job was. You never got that sense. It could be a, a meaningless game at the end of a season with the Dodgers going nowhere, and you'd still enjoy listening to the stories that Vin would tell on the broadcast. And I don't think we'll ever have another person quite like him in the sport. I mean, working working solo and doing doing the uh, the pre and post stuff that he did for so long too, just truly an amazing talent and just someone that really changed the game in a way that influenced thousands of people that that get to talk about it and write about it today so definitely someone that will be missed and i've really just enjoyed reading a lot of the tributes and and hearing a lot of new stories uh but things that were before my time especially and i really really just enjoyed that coverage even though it's very sad that finn scully is gone at the age of 94 we are going to go. If you'd like to ask a question for a future episode, you can send those our way. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address. You can drop those questions on this video on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>